Hi, good evening, everyone. Nice to be here tonight with you. Be sharing uh, sharing the word tonight. Um, yeah, just want to give thanks for all of us being here. I'm praying that um, the word will speak to each one of us. Unfortunately, we won't have the um, the scriptures up there. So if you've got your Bibles, refer to them. If not, and you want scripture references later, then I can give them to you. Um, want to give thanks as well for our Archbishop, as Pastor Dom said, he's travelling, uh, for our senior pastor, for the worship, for everything, and don't want to be saying it in a religious way, genuinely want to appreciate everybody, you know, for what, who we are in the house of God, for what we bring to the house of God. I want to thank God for a lovely retreat, we had a really lovely time on uh, Tuesday, it was a blessing, it was wonderful. Uh, thank God for that. And I also want to just extend my thanks for everybody's prayers for Eddie. We went and saw Eddie last night, and it was so good to see him. It was so nice. I was chatting with him. It was like, I don't want to dramatize it, but it was like someone came alive from the dead. You know, when you've seen someone laying on a bed with a 100 tubes coming from them, and you don't know if they're going to live or die, and you don't know what's going to come out of it, and to see him and to be talking to him, it's his birthday today, God bless him. You know, I just give thanks. So thank you. Thank you for the prayers that were lifted up for the senior pastor for initiating prayers to go up. And I, I believe and I know that God heard those prayers and he answered them. And our God is a faithful God. He's a good God. And I'm so grateful. Um, the subjects I wanted to look at tonight, I was looking at, um, I, love, I love the epistles and I love books like the book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul and many other epistles that he wrote and the other apostles, what they wrote as well. And what really often just speaks to me when I look at scripture is, is the love of God through the work of Jesus Christ. That's what always touches me, what Jesus did for us on the cross that God became a man, that he was incarnate, that God chose to step in to human flesh, to be born of a virgin and to take the form of a man and to come and meet us and to fellowship with us and to teach us and to do something amazing for us, to show us what God's love actually means. It means that he would suffer and that he would die for us on a cross. That, that is a window into the heart of God. That is a window, that is a revelation of God's goodness that he would choose to do that. And all the apostles around Jesus and the ones that came after, they had that revelation of God's wonderful love and they just wanted to write about it, they wanted to preach about it. They want, that was all that mattered to them was to talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. And that's what I've been looking at, um, just to, to what we, the theological words, but the scriptural words, because they keep appearing in the scripture over and over, and we might put them in the category of theology, but what is theology? Theology is an understanding of what God has done for us and who he is. And these two words are justification and sanctification, and they're, they're so relevant, they're relevant to our lives as believers they're relevant to our salvation. And I think it would be good just to look at what these words mean and how they're spoken of and the context in which they're spoken, that it will speak to us of God's goodness ultimately. And so I want to take a passage from the book of Romans, and that's going to bring us into this whole idea or, or, or notion of, of, of justification and sanctification. What do they mean and how do they relate to each other and how do they relate to salvation? So, so Romans, in Romans chapter 5, I'll read from verses one to, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 9, okay? Listen to these words carefully because they are inspired by the Holy Spirit, okay? They're not, they're not my words, obviously. They're God's words and we believe that they're God-breathed. These words are God-breathed, inspired by the Spirit himself. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in, out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So he starts with this word justified in this passage that I've given you, and he finishes with this word in verse 9 in this particular passage with the word justified. And that's where we get the word justification. And when you think of to be justified, what does it mean to you? When you think you're justified, how do you understand that word? Well, to be justified means that you're made right. Let's say you were in an argument with someone, two people arguing about a situation, and one of them, you're an observer, and you may say, well, this one's justified because I can understand the situation, I can see what's gone on behind there, and based on what this one has done, I think he's justified, or she's justified, okay? And if one is justified, what does that make the other one? That puts the other one in the wrong. So to be justified is to be put in the right, to be right, yeah? And Paul starts by saying, the apostle, having been justified, he says, by faith. So he says, so you think, what's, my, what's justified him? Believing. By believing, I'm made right. Which is counterintuitive, isn't it? Because you think, well, why just by believing you're made right? <laughs> That's too easy. Why would you just by believing, all of a sudden you're made right by believing? Well, no, it's not about just by believing, but it's by believing it's what you're believing in that makes you right. And this is what he's going to go on to say, because we could just say, oh, by having faith, that makes me right. No, it doesn't. It's by what you're having faith in. Okay? So he says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we've got peace now with God. He's talking to, to believers. He's saying there was a time when we didn't have peace with him when actually we were at odds with him, when God Almighty was angry with us. God Almighty was against us. God Almighty considered each one of us as his enemies, opposing him. Why? Because of the way we live. But we might think we live well. We might think we live, we, we're good. People often do. But the scripture's telling us something different. It's telling us that we're not. It's telling us that we're sinners. By nature, we're sinners. The things that we do, the things that we think, the things that we desire offend God. They grieve him. They oppose him. And so he says, in that way that you are, in that way that you live, you're my enemies. And I'm against you. I'm against you. I'm not for you. It sounds harsh. It sounds unappealing. It's not the first faith that people jump to. People like to go to a religious type of belief where you can just block it all out and reconcile everything and just have peace. But God says no. There is no peace. There is no peace because I'm against you because you're against me. So we are at enmity. We're against each other. But here it's saying there's a justification. You can be made right and have peace with God. Why? Through Jesus. 
Through Jesus, we can come back together and have peace again, God is saying. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. He's saying, look, you have this faith. You have this faith, this belief in Jesus. Jesus gives you access. Access to what? To grace. What is grace? Favor. Grace is favor from God that you don't deserve because you're in a bad place and you cannot make it right. We said justification means to be right, to be made right, to stand rightly before God. God is saying you can't make yourself right. If you could make yourself right, Jesus needn't have come. Because we know everything that's right up to the time of Jesus. How do we know everything that's right up to the time of Jesus? Did Jesus add anything to the law? No, he didn't add anything. He says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. But that was up to the time of Jesus, and Jesus didn't add. Yes, he said, love each other as I have loved you, a new commandment. But it's based on the same principle of love. So the law was there. Everything we know we needed to do was there, but we weren't doing it. We couldn't do it. We still remained sinners. And for that reason, God had to come himself in human flesh and do something to change the situation. Because however good we think we can be, we will always fall short. Our best day, our holiest day, our best efforts still fall miserably short of the mark. And that will always be the situation. Faced with this, with this dilemma, if you like, with this problem, we've only got one chance, and that's a saviour. Because sin condemns us. Sin condemns us. I'm sure every single one of us here, when you've sinned, you felt condemned. You fe felt a sense of guilt. I'm sure everyone has felt that emotion at some point in their lives. Where does it come from? If we are just animals, why do we feel bad? What is that feeling? Who have we transgressed? Apart from the person that you may have done, there's a sense that you have transgressed beyond that. And that beyond is God himself. Because he made us and he knows and we know. And so he goes on, he says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, and he talks about that. And then I'm going to carry on from verse, he speaks about the Spirit. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God, he says, has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us, okay? And I'm going to come back to that. He starts by talking about justification by faith in Jesus, and then he talks about the Spirit that's poured into us. We've got two things. Justification, which relates to his blood, and then the spirit, which relates to, we're going to speak about sanctification. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So he died for you in your state of ungodliness, before you did anything good to merit anything. He says, for scarcely for a righteous man, one may die. So, so you do find people that they may like lay their life down. Friends, you hear amazing stories where people will give their life for their best friend. It's so moving. It's so wonderful that someone would choose not to live anymore because they love that person more than they love themselves. That's an amazing thing that we can have that. But he says, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In that place of enmity against him, he still chose to lay his life down. Much more then, having now been justified, and this is the key word, justified by his blood. His blood is what justifies me. His blood is what makes me right. His blood is what gives me peace with my father. Justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. What is wrath? Wrath is God's anger. Wrath is God's judgment against us for our living against him, for our sin. 
So that wrath is saying was, was, was condemning us, was coming against us. But now the blood has justified me, has made me right. My faith in that blood opens the door to grace. That's what it does. It opens access to God's favour. Without the blood of Jesus Christ over your life, you cannot stand before God. It's only through the blood of Christ. That's what makes you righteous. That's what makes you, sets you in the right place. And this kind of language, Paul knew what he was doing because he was referring to legal words. In the law courts, they use these words justification and so on. So when someone comes before a judge, and in the law courts as they are, if you're justified, you're seen as right, and you're set free, you're innocent, you're set free. If you're unrighteous, you're unjustified, you're not justified, you're guilty, and you're condemned. It's one or the other. You're either set free because you're righteous, or you're condemned because you're guilty. And the Word of God here is teaching us that the only thing that's trans, uh, that gives us a transition from guilty to innocent is nothing that you do. It's his blood, justified by his blood. So you may think you're going to come to church regularly and consistently from here to kingdom come and apply yourself to every church activity and do everything you can to prove to God how wonderful you are. Praise the Lord. But that will not save you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. Only the blood. Only what he did on that cross. Nothing else. Don't mark up things on your board. Don't give yourselves brownie points. Doesn't count for nothing. Okay? Nothing. Only the blood of Jesus. And all mankind is in the same position. Every single person falls in, uh, under that category. We all fall short of the glory of God and none of us can do anything to change the situation. If we could, he needn't have come. We had the law. We had it all there. We couldn't do it. So it, it, makes, it makes the coming of Jesus void and null. We don't even need to read the New Testament because we've got it all there. We just say, well, we just need to love God more and love our neighbor as ourselves. But Paul says something different in Romans 3, 19 to 26, but I'll just read the first few verses. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. He's saying that no flesh will be justified by the deeds of the law. The law but the law is good. The Bible says that the law is good. But by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. You can't put yourself in a right place. Why? Because you can't keep to it all. We cannot keep the law. We can't love our neighbor as ourselves. We can't love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We can't do it in ourselves. We can't keep all the commandments. So we can't be justified. What the law does, we starts to show us how we fall short. We keep some parts of it, and then we see something else we've fallen short. So what the law does, instead of actually showing us something good to, it shows us how bad we are. It actually, the law shows us that we're guilty. It just keeps telling us, you're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. And that was our situation. So how do we go from being in this place of being condemned, having the law, but not being able to keep it? And why can we not keep it? We can't keep it because of a curse. A curse that came upon man. At the beginning, in the book of Genesis, a curse came on us. And because of that curse, we don't have the ability to do it. Because our... our, our Natures were changed. We were unregenerate. We lost our contact with God. So as much as we aspire, as much as we desire to fulfill the law, we will keep falling short. And so the more of God's law we see, the more we realize we fall short. So it's almost like stop giving us laws that are good. We don't want any more good laws. 
Because the more good laws we see that are good and are holy and are righteous and are wonderful, the more we see we can't keep them. And so he says, he gives us, he reveals to us the mystery, the wonder of our salvation. That we cannot keep the law, therefore we cannot be righteous. We cannot be righteous, we can't be, we, we can't be right with God, we can't have peace with God. So in Romans 3, 21 to 26, he says, But now, and this is, these are two important words. Because he says things have changed. Things have changed now, he says. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Even the righteousness of God. Even that standard. We're talking about standards of righteousness. Everyone thinks they're at a different level, a different standard. I'm more righteous than this one's more. God is saying, forget all of that. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. But instead, there's a righteousness which is synonymous with God's righteousness, the righteousness of God, which is him, his own standard. He says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. A time has come, he said, where now God will give you his righteousness freely. I give it to you because you can't attain it. However hard you try, you can't, so I'm going to give it to you as a free gift. And I'm doing this. It's free for you, totally and utterly free. You can't do nothing for it. But it cost everything for me, he's saying cost me everything the father says it cost me my son and the son says it cost me my life but for you if you believe it and if you receive it it's free to demonstrate his righteousness forget about your righteousness let me show you what righteousness means that the father sends the son to die for our sins even while we are still sinners, demonstrates his righteousness. Because of his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is just and he's the justifier. He justified me through his blood. He justified you through his blood if you have faith in Jesus. Just have faith in Jesus. And so if we accept what he's done, if we accept his sacrifice, if we accept that he shed his blood and his blood alone can cleanse us from our sins and redeem us, if we accept that he was a ransom, that he presented himself as a ransom so we can be released and set free, then we've received salvation by faith through grace. And God gives us a completely clean slate. Clean, 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 clean. Not a dot of sin. Not a dot. Not a dot. And when he sees you, he sees you pure and clean and righteous. Beautiful. The blood, the blood of God, the blood of God was shed. The blood of God covers me. The blood of God washed me. The blood of God reconciled me. The blood of God justified me. The blood of Jesus Christ. And we cannot add to that and we cannot take away from that. We bring nothing to that process. We just believe and we receive it. So to be righteous is to be justified. And to be justified is to be saved 
from condemnation. When you're justified, you're saved. Saved from what? Saved from condemnation. That's what you're justified. So you're saved from condemnation. And Jesus says it in the most famous passage, John 3, 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Because he has not believed. Believes, believes, believed, believe. He keeps talking about believing. Truly believing, putting your faith in Jesus. Not just saying, I believe Jesus, Jesus lived. Not just accepting it in your mind. But believing and receiving. Receiving him into your heart. Because even the demons believe. But to receive him into your heart. For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you've received him into your heart and not just believed him, then he lives within you. And what he says saves us from condemnation, because he says it. He who believes in him is not condemned. Do you believe in Jesus? You're not condemned. You believe in Jesus? You're not condemned. You're not condemned if you believe in Jesus. Praise the Lord, I'm not condemned. Because I believe in Jesus. And I'm justified. Justified by his blood. Praise the Lord for what he done. Romans 5 verse 18 to 19. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. Through one man's offense. Who's that man? Who's that man who offended and brought us all into judgment? Adam. Adam offended, grieved God, opposed him, sinned. We are the offspring of Adam. And every generation since then inherits, unfortunately, that condemnation. That's why it says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. One man offended, one man was obedient. One was disobedient, Adam. God has to become Adam again to be obedient. And by being obedient, he justifies us. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. By one man's obedience... I said before, so how do you get righteous then? By one man's obedience. By one man's obedience. Thank you, Lord, that you chose to become a man. By your obedience. Not by my obedience. I was disobedient. Very disobedient. And give you a list of disobedience. Well, I won't. It's best kept between me and God. But by one man's obedience... I'm made righteous, and many are made righteous, and we're all made righteous by his obedience. And in 8.32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, he did not spare him, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. If it's God that I've grieved and offended, if it's God that I've opposed, and God is making me right, who can argue? Because he's the one doing the justifying. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Praise the Lord. 
So no one can condemn because Christ is the one that justifies us. And this justification, this justification, this being made right and acceptable before God, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and like I said, not just intellectually, not just a shallow faith, not just saying the Lord's, uh, the uh, sinner's prayer kind of, but really I put my faith in you, Jesus. I trust in you and all you did for me on that cross. I thank you, Lord, that you died and suffered on that cross and you shed your precious blood and your blood has washed me and cleansed me. I trust in you, Lord. I thank you for what you've done. I believe in you. In that way, in truly giving our hearts to him, Justification is instantaneous. That means that you're born again. You've stepped from the kingdom of darkness and now you're in the kingdom of light. You've now transitioned. Something has happened in the spiritual domain. Something deep has happened. Something completely different has happened to your being. The almighty God has now come to dwell within you and you have entered the kingdom of God. And you have become a child of God. And that is instantaneous. You've crossed over. There is no judgment anymore because you've crossed from death to life. And that's your salvation because of justification. And it happens instantaneously. Based on the finished work of Christ, nothing you can do to add to it. So Romans 5, 6 to 9 says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he calls us righteous. And he says, you're justified. In Greek, the word, I've said it before, thegelthes, thegelsinin, which also, you're justified, but it also means righteous. So you're made righteous. But let's face it, we don't always behave righteously, do we? We're still sinners. And we have this paradox that while still being sinners, God proclaims that we're righteous. So he sees us, knowing that we sin, but he says, you're righteous. When I look at you, I see you as righteous, but I also can see that you do sin. And for those sins, you have to repent and come before God and ask for forgiveness and cleansing. But I see you as my son or my daughter, and I see you as righteous. But he says, me and you know you're not righteous. Between us, we both know you're not really righteous. But I'll call you righteous. Because you need to know you're righteous. And the fact of the matter is, you are. Because I've cleansed you, and I've washed you, and I've made you right before my Father. So God says something about us until we become it. He calls us righteous to make us righteous. And that brings us into what we're going to come into sanctification now. So first to say, justification is objective and it's external. What I mean by that, it's, got, it's nothing to do with you. Yes, it's to do with you in that you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you put your trust in him. Yes, you have to receive him. You have to put your faith in him. But it's objective. You didn't bring about your salvation. It's external. He brought about your salvation. Not you. External and objective. He accomplished it without your help, without my help, with no outside help at all. We just place our faith in his finished work. But once we have received this instantaneous justification by faith through grace and we're transitioned into the kingdom of God and we're born again, now the spirit of God lives within us. He's come to occupy us. Now he wants to do a work in us. Now he says, now the work begins. Now it's time to work. Now you've got to become righteous. 
You have to start to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You have to start behaving. <laughs> All right, sorry. It had to come sooner or later. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we were doing well. <laughs> we, were we were declared righteous, declared justified before God, but now we're called to be righteous. What's the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And God wants to see us be righteous. It's not good enough just to go around thinking, well, I'm saved by grace through faith. I'm no, if you are saved by grace through faith, now you know you've got to be righteous. And you will know you've got to be righteous because Jesus says that the Spirit will come to convict you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So slowly, slowly, you start to realize there's things that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing. There's things that you're saying. You never thought about that before, but now you are thinking about it. Now, because you're convicted. The word convicted is similar to the word convince. So now God is convincing you. He's actually making it quite clear. That's, that is good. That's not so good. That's bad. That's what he's saying. He'll convict you of sin. That's bad. He'll convict you of righteousness. That's good. Carry on with that and stop doing that. That is what the work of the Spirit is. He's working within us once we've received him to start the work of sanctification. And sanctification is just another word for transforming us and making us righteous, conforming us to his own image, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ because that's the work of God, to transform us within and make us like his son Jesus he starts by justifying us, and now he starts to sanctify us. And that sanctification is a lifelong process, and it's a challenging process. And the more you go on the walk, the more it hurts. Because the more the Spirit shows you about yourself, the more you feel you fall so far short. But then you realize that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that justifies you and makes you right before God. So there's no condemnation. Just repent and start moving on again. And as you keep on that trajectory, you are being made righteous and being conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Because we know that when we come to God, we bring a lot of the old man. We bring a, the old self. Yes, we have this new nature, but we've still got a lot of rubbish that has to be dealt with. We've still got certain weaknesses. We've still got certain habits. We've still got sort of certain um, patterns of thinking. That's why we have to renew our minds. Why would we have to renew our minds? Why would we have to do anything, actually? Why would so much of the New Testament be written if it was just you're, you're saved and justified and that's it? No. There's constant exhortations. Constant exhortations. Be holy as I am holy. Amen. We are called to put on the new nature, to put on the new man, to remind ourselves who we are in Christ. So this is a, a constant process of being changed. And it's the spirit that empowers us and enables us. Because without the Holy Spirit, you cannot do it. I cannot do it. We cannot live the life of God without the Holy Spirit. And it almost, we say it so many times, it almost sounds like a cliche. But it's so true. We can't. You can't really love your, you can't love your enemy. You can't turn the other cheek. You just can't do it. it, it it's a tall order. I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the law and the things that God demands, they're impossible. They're actually, you've got to, they're supernatural. And that's the point. They're supernatural. They go beyond the natural. Sometimes when you talk to people about the things of God, they say, but that's not natural. You know what I mean? That's not natural what you're saying. No, it's not. It's supernatural. We need the supernatural power of God to live the supernatural life. But he gives it to us. So, unlike justification, which... We do nothing to merit. It's unmerited favour. It's grace. That's justification. So unlike that, sanctification is different. That requires participation. 
That requires co-workmanship, as our Archbishop often says. We have to work with God. We have to walk with God. We have to, it's, it's a synergy. It's a constant coming to him. It's allowing him to work in us and through us to change us and to change the world. It's a participation. So justification is an instantaneous thing, but sanctification is a process. And if we're believers, we're in that process. And it does take effort. It takes effort. It takes effort because we have to yield. We have to yield to God. The scripture tells us we have to stir up good works. Yeah? It tells us we have to submit to God. Submit to him. It's it's an action, isn't it, that we have to do every day. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Submit to God. You have to keep doing. You have to fight. You have to do all of this. Not because you're fighting because you need to be saved. Because you've already been saved. But to overcome the enemy in your life. So that you're not kept down and that you become what God wants you to be and you live in the freedom that God has given you. Because if we walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit, we will enjoy freedom in our lives. We will enjoy all the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit. Love, peace, joy, goodness, kindness. We'll enjoy those if we walk with God. And sometimes we don't walk with Him or we fail Him. And we're not kind, and we're not joyful, and we're not good. (laughs) I've got more. (laughs) I'm going to go for all nine fruits now. (laughs) If only I could remember them. (laughs) Not long-suffering, but I'm definitely not (laughs) long-suffering. But God... God has given us an inheritance to enjoy a certain life. You know, we don't just gather here for the fun of it, do we? I mean, I, you know, I, I say to myself again, don't, something that the senior pastor often says, don't become sermon-proof. Don't just be hearing scriptures, you know, because it's, it's, it's nauseous. It gives you a headache after a while, actually. If you're just hearing scriptures and not really embracing the scriptures and believing the scriptures, then, you know, there's, a, there's an emptiness, your own making, because you're not really receiving from God. Because in the same way you, you're saved by faith, you put this faith in God and you receive your salvation, this faith, this This constant putting faith in God allows the Spirit to keep working through you. What is faith but yielding, coming to Him in prayer, seeking Him constantly, saying, Lord, help me, help me to seek, help me to resist sin, help me to submit to you, help me to yield. As we're doing that, as we're doing it, God is birthing those fruits in our lives. And so we're adding, we're adding, that's our part. We're adding to what God is doing. Um, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 to 8, this is the Apostle Peter saying to us, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let it be multiplied, he says. Sorry, bear with me a second. I've... As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. It says that you may be partakers of the divine nature. That means that we have to partake, we have to participate to enjoy that divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust but also for this very reason giving all diligence and that's something we have got to ask ourselves as well giving all diligence diligence what comes to mind when you think of that it speaks of hard work doesn't it it speaks of pressing in, being diligent in our faith. We hear it about study the word of God, be diligent to show yourself approved. There's this thing about diligence. There's this thing about what we've got to do. Be diligent, you know. Put yourself out a bit. We put ourselves out for so many things, don't we, that are not really under the category of spiritual. We put ourselves out for them, make a lot of effort. 
Are we diligent with the things of God? That's what he's saying, giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. To virtue knowledge. He's asking us to do this. Add to it. It's something you're doing. Add to your faith virtue. To virtue knowledge. To knowledge self-control. To self-control perseverance. To perseverance godliness. To godliness brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You will neither be barren nor unfruitful. So if we want to have more knowledge, it's interesting. If we want to have more knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, knowledge of Christ, the things that he says that bring about knowledge are things like virtue, the fruits of the Spirit, self-control, perseverance, and love. So these, these things are prerequisites to actually having more knowledge of Jesus. Oh, and as we said, it's only by the Spirit of God. And like I said, whereas sanctification is objective, it's outside of you, you never did anything for it, it's external, sanctification is subjective. It's up to you. It's up to you to pursue and walk on that walk. It's internal. It's something within you. So our salvation is by justification and our sanctification is what transforms us, yeah? And there was an analogy that I heard um, someone give and it spoke to me. And... What they were basically saying was that when the, when the queen or when the queen was alive, every so often she would buy a certain residence or the crown would buy a residence and they would find these old palaces or castles or whatever. Quite often they were in bad condition, they were dilapidated. But once it became the queen's, there was a flag that would be raised to say this belongs to the sovereign. This now belongs to the queen of England and it's hers. It's her property. She's purchased it and she owns it. But these properties needed a great deal of work doing to them. And it's the same principle with us. There comes a time when God stepped in and purchased our souls. He purchased us. He raised up the flag. He said, you are mine. I have you, your freehold property. And you belong to me. But then the work begins there's a lot of work to do on that, on that building work. But we've got a trusted builder, as they say. Everyone's looking for a trusted builder. They're very few and far between. But Jesus is that trusted builder. He's that master craftsman. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And he doesn't, thank God, have buyer's remorse. You hear this thing about buyer's remorse. I don't know if you've ever had it. You've bought something. You go, why did I buy it? It's just not that good. Or you go for a meal and you just think, I've just wasted like 100 quid. And you just think it's, you know, it's too late. You've eaten it. But sometimes people buy things and they want to return it. So my analogy is breaking down there. So I just move on to the next one. <laughs> but you get the point. God doesn't want to return us. He wants to keep us, and he wants to work with us. That's, that's basically the point. He wants to keep working with us. And he says, like, work with me. Work with me to get this place looking good. You know, and we've just finished doing, almost finished doing the flooring. And this is actually the tail end of many, many years. For those that don't know, it's the tail end, if you like, of over 20 years of quite a lot of hard work, actually, in, on many different levels, not just the actual practical, but in actually being here in this building on a weekly basis, sharing, worshipping, you know, doing what we do, serving the community, it's come about as a result of a lot of hard work. You know, praise be to God for everyone that's put their hands to the plough because we're participating with our maker. And he is doing the same thing in our souls as we are doing in this building so, the freehold, the land, or the building, however you want to say, God purchases it and he owns it. And then he starts to work on it. And then that's where our part comes in. What do we add? What do we add to that? 
And I just want to read a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 to 15. He says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. He says, I've laid the foundation. That's Paul. The reason Paul says he's laid the foundation is because Paul's the one that's given the foundation. He's the one that's given the foundation. Not he's, the, he's not the foundation. He's given the foundation. And we know what the foundation is. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Why has he given it? Because he's preached salvation and they've received it. So their foundation's there. They're saved by the grace of God, and the foundation is now in place. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That is the foundation. He is our Savior. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, day being in capital. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Remember we said before we've got to work? We've got to work. But there will come a time when all of our work will be come through a test. And it's going to come through the test of a fire. And that fire is a consuming fire. And that fire is God himself, who, in his own way, we only have words to help us in this human language, will scrutinize. The fire will test everything that we have done thus far in our lives. And up to that day that we breathe our last, it will scrutinize every motive, Every action, every desire, every plan, every agenda, everything we think we've done in what we've contributed to the house of God's work, building in us, and whatever that means around us, that will go through a fire, a fire of testing. I, that's quite, I find that quite daunting myself. It's saying it's going to go through a fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Will be saved because our salvation was external to us was objective we didn't do anything for it he laid his life down to purchase our salvation he shed his blood he suffered on our behalf he gave it to us as a free gift we received it but then the process of sanctification of becoming what God has called us there's an expectation upon us that's why we have the parable of the talents that's why the fruits of the Spirit, when he talks about the fruits, one bears 30, 60, 100, and so on and so forth. We can find many, many scriptures. And so I take this for myself, and I want to take it in a sober way. I want to be sober when I, re when I read this. I want it to sober me, that I'm real with, with God. I want to be real. And I'm sure there are many times I haven't been real. I'm sure there are many times my faith or my actions have been superficial or self-seeking or wrong or misplaced. But I'm still here, thank God, and I'm still walking the walk. And my prayer is for myself, for all of us, for every Christian really, to just look at God's word and say, Lord, I don't want to suffer loss on that day. I want to know that everything I've done has been born of your spirit born of prayer because that's how we we bring the gold into the house that's how we bring the precious stones because the same spirit that tests what's there is the same spirit that gives what's pure and holy and righteous and good without him we cannot do good works he's the one that produces the good works but if we're not seeking him 
they're not really the works that God approves of. That's why in Revelation he challenges them about the works, through the first works, the works that are born of the Spirit, the works that are born of a relationship with God, not the works that are, are done to be seen, not the works that you do to ease your conscience, not the works that you do to show anything to anybody else, not the works to be religious and pious, not those works, no. The works that are born in your heart from God, those ones will bring in the gold, will bring in the precious stones. And when the fire comes, he'll know this is a fruit, my fruit. I, I brought this about in your life through your yielding and your submission. And that's why you're going to look more like me. And the more we conform to his image, the more we have served him, the more we have done what we have been called to do, the greater the reward. And the reward is basking in his presence, ultimately. And only God knows the mystery of what those rewards will mean. But the reward is knowing, knowing him more deeply and being more close to him. So, just one or two more scriptures and we're going to close. Another scripture in this sort of vein is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. And so he speaks to us. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says you've always obeyed, not only in my presence. And we shouldn't just obey because the archbishop sees us or he hears about us or the senior pastor or the leadership. Nothing to do with that. You obey God. Just obey God. Serve him. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Work out. Don't work for your salvation. We've already said you can't work for it. It's been given to you as a gift. Someone else worked for it and achieved it for us. But work it out. And I think when we're sober and we are serious about our faith and we start to work it out, what it actually cost the Almighty to step into time from eternity to become a man and to walk the walk he walked and to go through what he went through and we work out what it meant for him to save us, it should be in fear and trembling. It should somehow move us that God would do that for us, that God would send his only son to die for us to suffer and die for us. For it is God, he says, who works in you. God works in you. That's the spirit. Both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He works in you both to will and to do. So when you feel you have, when, you're, when we're seeking him, when we're loving him, when we're praying and we're talking with him, and he's we find that we have a will to do his good pleasure. That's him doing it in us. He works in you both to will and to do. Why? Not for yourself, but for his good pleasure. Because anything we do with him is for his good pleasure. It brings glory to him. It honors him. And so we see the, the whole of God working. The Father sending the Son to lay his life down, so we're reconciled with the Father, we have peace with him, we're adopted into his kingdom, we become his children, he puts his very own spirit within us to live and abide within us, so then we are being transformed, being sanctified, being conformed to the image of his Son. We see the whole of the Trinity working in us to bring us to God and to use us. So this is heaven coming down to earth to meet with us mere mortals you know, and it's, and it's an awesome salvation. It's, it's an awesome work, what God is doing. And when you read through the scripture, just try and identify how you see these two things. They come up, it's a pattern. The blood and the spirit. The blood and the spirit, constantly. The blood which justifies the spirit which comes and lives and abides and changes us and works with us. You see the parallels in all the different epistles and in the Gospels, they come up again and again and again because it's the work of God.
Praise the Lord. God bless. I hope it's spoken to you.